Hello and uh, welcome to DevOps Sauna. My name is Lauri and I am the Chief Marketing Officer of Efficode. During the COVID-19 outbreak and the following pandemic, many organizations were forced to transition to the remote mode. But there are organizations that have decided to be all remote always. In the DevOps arena, GitLab is one of them. They are an open core company and they actively share information not only about their strategy, direction, metrics, but also their approach to organizing as an all-remote company. We invited Brendan O'Leary from GitLab to talk about the connection between all-remote work and remote-first DevOps. Because we believe that DevOps starts already from the business validation and design thinking, we also invited Mervi Rauhala from Efficode to share her experiences transitioning business and service design from co-located practices to remote practices. Hey Brendan, how are you today? Good, good, how are you? For a moment I was terrified for having a mismatch in the scheduling because we went to the winter time uh, last yes. Sunday. And you're only going to have it ahead of you coming weekend. Is that so? That's correct. Yeah. 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 And actually it happened. I have another interview that they did do that. So you win, not messing that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for, for, for once it helps to rely on a technology and let, let the calendar <laughs> app figure out the, the time zones. I don't know if that's the case um, in where you live, but in Finland where we live, that change is actually quite fundamental because it, it very concretely shifts one hour from morning to the evening or evening mm -hmm. to the morning. And I just, it came real for me yesterday when I, I was finishing up my working day, some something like 520 in the in the evening and i thought okay it's still i've still got plenty of time to go on a run and catch the daylight and i stepped out of my room and it was pitch black mm -hmm. yeah. and i was so mm -hmm. that was so uh, surprising today we are going to talk about um remote work and actually to be more specific remote first because i think everybody is accustomed with a thing called remote work we have all professional people who have who have a kind of a job there where they deal with information, they can do that wherever they are, but remote first or all remote are completely different things. But before we dive deeper into the subject, maybe I give floor to you, Brendan, to introduce yourself. And then after you, Medivy, to also introduce yourself um, from Efficode. And then we'll we'll start and, and talk about remote first at all remote. Sure, great, thanks. Yes, yeah, so my name's Brendan O'Leary and I'm a developer evangelist at GitLab currently. Uh, I've been at GitLab since 2017, and so I've seen us grow from about 150 team members to over 1,250 team members, uh, and that's in 65 or 66 different countries and regions. Uh, so I spend my time talking to folks about uh, certainly GitLab and, and our view of DevOps in the world, um, but also you know in our current conditions and, and the state of the global pandemic, spent a lot of time talking with folks about remote work because as you may know, we've been an all remote company since kind of our inception. So that's something that a lot of folks have come to us kind of asking about how do we make it work? Um, how do we make remote work for our teams as 
as many folks have been forced to kind of be suddenly remote and, you know, not planned. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I work as a team lead uh, at Evicod and as a service designer. And uh, you could say that uh, I kind of like help our clients to ideate, design and build uh, either like totally new services or uh, offerings or improve their existing services and customer experience. And uh, you could say that uh, I very often find myself uh, in projects from the so-called fuzzy front end. Uh, where we are not sure yet, we are just kind of like exploring uh, whether we are even solving the right problems and what would be the uh, right ways to solve the problems once we've uh, discovered the right ones. So kind of like uh, what should be built and and why. Uh, I've been uh, at Efficode for over three years uh, and really been enjoying. And uh, I would say that very interesting to hear about like all remote uh, company, so get some uh, insights on how how you make it work there at GitLab. Uh, of course, uh, I would also say that at Efficode we are very accustomed working uh, remotely, and probably a lot of companies in 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 the IT world uh, are already quite accustomed and have a lot of like good practices for that, and and teams are used to uh, having members uh, in different countries and different time zones and so forth. So probably this uh, COVID situation and uh, forced remote wasn't that much of a shock shock to us, but uh, there's still a lot to learn and hopefully we can also share some some uh, of our good practices to, to companies that uh, have been just adapting to the remote world. What is also intriguing and in, in having precisely the two of you here on the line is, is Medevi, as part of her profession, is very much in the beginning, like very, very early stages of a software development cycle. Whereas if I think of how GitLab appears to me is, is then a lot of things further down the pipeline, the, and namely the CI/CD pipeline. Um, so we, we get to hear how design goes remote, but also how software development on the whole goes remote. Now, there are two terms that I, I want, Brendan, you to introduce and, and speak a little more. So one is the remote first DevOps. Um, and interestingly, that combination of those two terms is, is, wasn't known to me from before. And then the follow-up question is, is uh, how do different teams um, experience conducting um, DevOps remotely. And I, I actually acquainted myself with the study that you have made, and there was a very interesting comment that 43% of remote workers feel that it is important to work for a company where all employees are remote. And Mervia and I are not part of such an organization, so you are. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, let, let's hear it out. Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll tackle the second part first. So yeah, we... Um, and I think you're apt to point out the distinction in, in word choice because I think we're very particular about that. Uh, you know, we talk about ourselves as, you know, all remote <clears throat> because our entire company is remote. There is no office. Uh, the closest thing that resembles an office is our CEO's apartment in San Francisco has a kind of a conference table. I mean, that's also his dining table. <laughs> um, and you know his TV's right behind you, but you know it is a place that you know pr- prior to the pandemic we could meet with folks maybe uh, that were in San Francisco, but 
it's by no means an office. Um, it is literally just his apartment. And, um, and so the fact that we have no office means that we're kind of forced to always think in that remote mode, right? So yes, I think engineering teams, and I'll talk in a moment about DevOps and remote first DevOps, uh, you know, have this kind of natural inclination to be able to work remotely. Uh, there's a, a natural kind of tendency toward the communication can be asynchronous, right? We're used to, hey, I'm going to go make an engineering change, and then I'm going to send it to you to review, and you're going to review it in your own time in a merge request or a pull request, and, and then you'll get back to me, and then I'll review your comments, and I'll make some changes, and then I'll send it back to you. However, you know, most, a lot of how business is conducted, right? And this was even true for us in the beginning, right? Sid our CEO took the company out of uh, Y Combinator, which is a, uh, a startup uh, incubator uh, in San Francisco, and got an office actually originally uh, because he said, oh, well, sales and finance and these other functions, they can't be remote. Uh, well, it turned out they can, and, and we were hiring folks uh, still back in Europe where Sid was from, and we were hiring folks uh, you know, kind of all over the Bay Area who didn't you know, really need to commute into San Francisco. Uh, to, to get their job done. And when the whole company kind of an, adopts that same methodology of communication doesn't need to be delayed until meetings, it can be done immediately, it can be done much clearer if it's written and asynchronous. Um, and you can, you know, really build that culture and kind of ingrain in the culture this idea that, you know, we're not necessarily all going to be in the same room or even on the same Zoom call. We're going to record those Zoom calls so you can re watch it later. And we're going to allow for a nonlinear workday to help, um, you know, folks that may have other things to attend to, which of course is, you know, all the more apparent now as, as many parents have uh, students home from school and they're having to kind of be a part-time teaching aid, full-time parent, full-time uh, employee. And, and so those kinds of things we've ingrained. And I always say it's the things that companies say they wish they would do more we have to do, right? Companies would say, oh, we should document more. We should write down more of our decisions. We should document uh, how we make those decisions and what they are. That's kind of a key tenant of remote work. But I think it goes hand in hand with DevOps, right? So to your, to your first question, you know, this concept of remote first DevOps, uh, I think developer teams across the board have realized or are definitely realizing now how you know, DevOps and remote work really go hand in hand, right? To be successful at both, you have to practice that communication and collaboration and asynchronous work. Um, and, you know, at GitLab, that's what we do. We have a publicly accessible handbook. Our teams will, you know, live stream calls together. It's pub all public uh, for the most part. And we, you know, have GitLab issues as like our central source of truth. And that's the official place for communication on projects. And, and that's really critical. Maybe when you listen to that and think it from the business and service design perspective, from, from distance, I would imagine that much of that is traditionally synchronous and uh, that would necessitate people being in the same room and having a like immediate response from, from whatever is going on in the design phase. How, how has that changed now that um, we work remotely and now effectively everybody is remote first? Uh, well, it has definitely changed. Uh, but first, I have to uh, still comment a little bit about uh, the GitLab uh, culture book that uh, is is publicly publicly accessible. I, uh, for example, went through the part uh, on communication, and I think that was 
really amazing uh, that you have uh, well documented everything and so the rules uh, of communication and ways are very well documented uh, it's probably now uh, very essential uh, or would be essential for many companies that uh, this kind of set of ground rules uh, would be set but uh, if you are remote first, you yeah you are kind of forced to do that. But now all the companies that haven't been forced to do that uh, would probably be much better off if all of these things would have been thought of and well documented. So uh, to all the uh, listeners of this podcast, I, I definitely recommend to go and check out the uh, publicly uh, accessible handbook. It's it's really uh, awesome. Uh, but yeah, to the service design, uh, well, you could say that uh, by nature uh, it's collaborative and it's about bringing uh, together different uh, stakeholders, the, the users and customers and, and of course the stakeholders uh, from our own company and, and so forth. And uh, usually uh, this is done, of course, physically at the same time in, in workshops very often. Uh, of course, some of these workshops have been also remote uh, before, but uh, I think some of the challenges come from uh, the fact that uh, the people uh, participating necessarily don't come from the same companies or same working cultures or, or of course, uh, not even from the same, same uh, cultures. Uh, so uh, bringing all these uh, different people with different uh, roles and expectations and uh, ways of working and not having the uh, kind of the trust built among them uh, or, or anything like that. It it poses uh, some challenges and very often it's maybe easier to facilitate uh, these people um, uh, or create the safe environment uh, where it's easier to express ideas and uh, work together when you are in the same room. Uh, but when you don't see the people, uh, you don't know the people you are, for example, having a remote workshop with, uh, it might uh, lead into a situation where people are not able to, for example, give their best or they might have some doubts and, and, and everything. So, um, yeah, you kind of have to, well, do very much more work on facilitation and thinking about what kind of uh, tools and how to build the process where you are um, engaging with the different stakeholders together and make the work uh, also like effective so that it's not only about uh, disconnecting uh, meetings or or people having some for example technical issues and and such so um yeah, I would say that it's more demanding for the people who are facilitating the processes, definitely, and, and that has changed. And of course, there are some, might be some uh, trust issues. Uh, very often, we need to also uh, engage with uh, potential customers and users and uh, how to make the situation easy and uh, feeling comfortable and safe also for them if we are, for example, uh, testing uh, out a product or validating a concept or, or what we, whatever we are doing. So it needs a lot more from the facilitator than, than uh, uh, 
previously. It's much more easier to improvise when you are in the same room and you can actually see the people and how they are uh, interacting and, and reacting to different things. But when everything is in remote, then you need to plan more. It's more effortful, probably. Definitely, yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a interesting when I listen to the, the the objectives that service design or you want to achieve in service design, it's the overall it's the out, the, the customer experience is the outcome and then how quickly you go from from defining the the desired customer experience into into getting the software released to that that fulfills to that so it's inevitable that we we talk about the objectives and when i think of this remote first devops which is an intriguing term for me um i can't help but ask brendan about the sort of ability to reach those objectives. So let's start with the customer experience, the developer experience, which are, are probably the, the softer part of the of the spectrum. And then going to the, the harder part is the feedback loop and the improving the release speed, improving the lead time. So how do you how do you look at the objectives and then measuring them and then actually reaching those objectives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a really good point. And I think it's it's um, maybe I'll go off in a little bit of a tangent first, but I think it's important to remember that, you know, right now we are in this kind of forced remote environment, right? And it's a little bit different than your typical remote working environment. For instance, you know, even though we're completely remote, we very much value, you know, in-person uh, meetings and discussions and and the ability to collaborate with customers directly, right? And we don't have that right now, which is just like everyone doesn't. Um, we also encourage team members to do that. So we typically uh, would get together once a year with the entire team somewhere in the world. Uh, so actually a week after I started, I was on a plane to uh, Crete, Greece in 2017. And we, we had a meeting of the whole team there. I got to meet everyone, right? Only 150 people. Uh, you can know everyone. Uh, and then we also went to Cape Town, South Africa and to New Orleans in the United States. We were supposed to go to Prague in in March, but uh, that didn't happen uh, for obvious reasons. And we also encourage team members to to meet with each other outside of that, right? So there's a lot of local. There were a lot of local co-working days um, back when you know co-working spaces were open and we could get team members together. Um, and there was also the, a grant to go visit uh, other other GitLab team members. And so I think we can't, uh, you know. We're, we're completely right that there's so much more effort to do a lot of things that can be done quickly in person uh, or better in person. Um, and then there's things that can be done better face-to-face, right, over a Zoom call or, or a video call. Uh, and then there's things that lend themselves to asynchronous. So I think, you know, back to our communication guidelines, we really think about a lot, you know, what are the things that need synchronous communication? Let's make time for those by not having a whole lot of meetings and other things that could have been asynchronous, right? And so we're we're always pushing ourselves to make those things that can be asynchronous, uh, allow them to be. Uh, and that approach really kind of, again, it goes from, I, I think, the similar approaches to DevOps, right? So the, you know, this approach to communication um, and kind of remote DevOps comes from the same way that developers work, right? Like they, you know, have a development practice that allows them to integrate their code quickly into a shared repository frequently without necessarily synchronous communication, right? Uh, and preferably more, more, you know, as often as possible. 
right? And so again, I think we kind of those those values kind of feed off of each other and and, and encourage each other to as we are working through that. Can you see the difference between the measurements or the metrics that in-office teams or co-located teams um, use versus remote-first teams? Well, I think so. Um, I I know that our our recent remote work survey, you know, showed that folks feel more efficient remotely, um, and I think that that's great, right? And I think that you know, being able to feel fulfilled in work is fantastic. But I also think it enables us to do something, right? So we have uh, a set of values that spell credit. So they're collaboration, results, efficiency, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, iteration, and transparency. And so that results value, right, the second one, you know, we necessarily have to, again, articulate clearly what success looks like for anyone in any role. Uh, because, you know, we don't have these kind of lazy metrics, right, of, oh, I'm the boss and I want to see an employee that's in before me and leaves after I leave, right? Um, and that tells me, you know, that's some, I think of that as signal, whereas it might be noise, right? And it may be a signal of something worse, right? That that employee is burning out or not as efficient as they could be or something's in their way. Uh, and so I think really remote allows you to, or forces you almost to consider, wait, what are the things that we really do value? What are the results we really do want to push for? And let's, you know, have our team focus on those rather than on, you know, hours put in, um, but but actually results that come out. I was thinking there there has been a lot of conversation about this phenomenon that when people have been forced to work from home during the outbreak and the, the pandemic situation, then, uh, th- then more time has been freed up from commuting. But surprisingly enough, that time has not been freed up for free time. It has mm-hmm. been freed up for work time. So effectively, people end up working more and uh, and their lines of work time and free time is, is blurring. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I could imagine that organization who is born of the remote first principle, they have to take these considerations into account from the get-go and they are they are pervasive instead of like, okay, one day we are back from to the, to the old world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this uh, actually recent study that uh, was uh, conducted in uh, Europe. Uh, it was uh, like 9,000 managers and employees across Europe and by Boston Consulting Group and KRC Research uh, commissioned by Microsoft. And uh, in this study, the the executives said that the productivity uh, has increased, but then uh, again, the innovativeness has uh, gone down uh, compared to uh, to previous year. But of course, it's really difficult to say uh, what causes what. So is it uh, the the ways of working in remote that has caused this uh, uh, increase uh, in productivity. That's, that might be easier, but uh, what explains the fact that uh, they felt that also the innovativeness has gone down. So is it because uh, people are, for example, stressed and they feel that they are a little bit, uh, I don't know, uh, in a very uh, unusual circumstances, that's not necessarily the best uh, an optimal situation uh, to be like super uh, innovative and of course for some companies it has meant like financial challenges and and probably being in a crisis mode uh, so uh, 
that is uh, quite interesting, actually. So, so in that sense, uh, probably the the productivity wise, it's it's very good because uh, people, uh, well, they they feel that they are productive. There's not that many uh, interruptions uh, as there might be, especially if you work in like an open office and and everything. And of course, the commuting time and and so forth. You don't have to spend that uh in sitting sitting in a car in traffic or or in a bus or, or wherever but you can also use that time for some something else but then what happens to the innovativeness and and that's because sometimes uh it's also about uh how people uh feel they belong to a company or do they feel that it's it's uh, safe and also one thing that I've been thinking a lot is that uh, what about all those happy accidents that happen when you just uh, by accident meet a colleague and have that uh, discussion before you uh, go to a meeting or you meet at, uh, at the water cooler or, or whatever. And now when all of these, uh, they seem that they're not that important encounters are being totally cut off, then, then what happens? And of course, it would be quite interesting to hear uh, that if you are a company that is remote first, then then how do you, for example, uh, Brendan, deal with uh, inno innovation and when you want to like uh, create new things? Because that is a little bit different than maybe kind of like just be productive and, and do the incremental uh, improvement of uh, services. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, we're really we have to be really intentional about communication, even informal communication. Uh, so if you look at, again, our, our handbook and our, our writing on remote, um, you know, we have to foster that informal, you know, for lack of a better word, random communication, right, between teammates and, and, and colleagues. And so we have all kinds of ways to do that. We have uh, social calls that are made as part of the day that don't have a work topic involved. They have a you know, there's a, a parents call where the parents can get together and um, uh, calls for different hobbies and Zoom uh, Slack rooms rather for every hobby you can name under the sun. Right. Um, and kind of fostering that kind of communication and, and making it safe to have that kind of communication at work because it is right. It should be. Uh, that's part of teams coming together. Uh, you know, we have this this concept of coffee chats, right, where you. Uh, schedule time or, or can get randomly paired up with actually in one of our Slack rooms, uh, another teammate to spend 20 minutes and talk about hopefully things that aren't work related. Now, of course, sometimes work things come up, right? This is how those, those happy accidents happen. Uh, and so we still, we, we want and encourage and, and foster that, but we have to do it really intentionally, right? And it's a really kind of almost in the beginning, an unnatural thing to formalize discussing informal communication. But it becomes really, really important, and you realize the importance of it once you've kind of been doing it for a while. And so, again, for a company that's suddenly remote, they may not have that concept. Like, um, my father uh, knows someone who works at uh, uh, a government entity around here. I live in near Washington D.C. in the states, and uh, they're just on Zoom calls like all day long, <laughs> literally mm -hmm. from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, and I know that's not sustainable, and I can't really do anything about it except tell my father what I think and hopefully he tells his friend and maybe, maybe it has a positive impact. Um, but I think we've got to, you know, learn from each other. And, and we, that's one reason we've been trying to share, you know, as much as we can about remote work and our remote work guide. And we, 
We also have a remote work course uh, on Coursera now. Like we're really trying to get the message out there uh, to help people deal with it because I think it's it's tough. You know, another example is um, my mother's a school teacher, uh, and at her school when they were remote, uh, they would have staff meetings, and she said to me, "Look, it's either pandemonium of everyone trying to talk at once, <laughs> or it's." really not a meeting it's just the principal talking at us for 40 minutes and and no one can really collaborate or, or discuss and so i share with her just you know a little snippet of you know part of our communication page where we talk about how we have a google doc for every meeting uh, and folks can add things into the google doc asynchronously because it's kind of like a you know multiplayer environment as we know with google docs yeah. uh, and that lets you then control both have input you know, I'll put my name and say, Brendan, I want to say something about X, Y, and Z. Uh, and then when it comes to be my turn, I get to talk and, and it gets to be discussed. Um, and that now that's how they run their, their Zoom meetings at, uh, at her school. Uh, and so I think, you know, you have to start to be really intentional about that, uh, both formal and informal communication, um, which can be awkward at first, but it's important. Very interesting uh, example you bring it there, which is that you would deliberately Uh, introduce practices that would happen spontaneously in the real life and that reminds me of of 20 years ago when the world talked about digitization and digitization was simply taking something which is analog in the analog world and turning it into a digital format but effectively that it by nature of it was still what the originally was like if you if you digitized a, a form that you had to fill in it was still nothing but a picture of a form And, but you would you would only truly revamp it by doing the digitalization, which is thinking, how do you refactor the business process so that you let go of all of the legacy and think it from clean slate? And I, I can hear from what you are saying here is that there are tons of organizations who have been forced to digitize themselves, which is trying to mimic the office behavior in the digital world, whereas... This, this all remote or remote first approach, which is like not even trying to artificially render a digital form of a real world, but re- really think it from scratch and how, like how should we solve this problem instead of thinking how should this solution be digital? There's a big difference between those two. Exactly. That's exactly correct. And, and, and if I can build on that, there is a one type of challenge that I believe organizations who are not fully digital or, or remote first is that is the security which has probably hindered a lot of a lot of organizations have been forced to acknowledge the fact that you can have a secure way of working a secure organization even though you work from home so how have you addressed that specific challenge around security yeah that's a challenge for sure um, first of all I'd say we have amazing teammates who are both experts in the field of security and and bought into our, our values uh, at GitLab. Um, but I think more specifically, you know, that their focus for those teams have been, you know, on the concept of zero trust, right? And so this, this concept of zero trust says, well, you don't, uh, you know, trust any part of the system, right? Which I think, again, is, you know, it's not that different than even folks that are on-premise. Now, there are some you know, uh, governments and other entities that offer, you know, operate maybe completely offline, right, completely disconnected environments that you could say, okay, that's completely contained. But I think for any business pre or post pandemic, uh, you know, 
we, we've seen huge movement to the cloud. We've seen, you know, movement of critical business information into cloud tools that they don't own anymore. Um, and so every business really has kind of a wide set of security concerns, whether they acknowledge it or not, right? And so for us, it's not necessarily uh, a, you know, completely different security mindset. It's just a step change from what a normal organization would have, which is, yes, you have the bounds of your network, but really that's not the bounds anymore, right? You've got people bringing their own devices. You've got, uh, you you have different cloud providers. You have folks with who knows what access to what. Um, and so those challenges, I think, are for us are, are very similar to the same. Um, but we layer on top of it this concept of zero trust so that we ensure that there is, you know, only authorized and authenticated access to things that are required, right? Um, and on the flip side of that, we have transparency as a value, which makes it a lot simpler of a model to understand, right? So we're very specific about those things that aren't public, right? Customer data, uh, you know, things about employment and, and you know, uh, personal information, right? Those things are very clearly not public, but a lot of the other things are, right? So when it comes to um, financial information or the details of how other groups work at GitLab, most of that is going to be freely available to most GitLab team members, if not to the public. Uh, and that means that then we can, again, be really intentional about those things that require security and require confidentiality um, rather than trying to, you know, boil the whole, whole ocean, if you will. Um, we, we focus really specifically on those things that we need to protect. Any thoughts, Merve, from the from the sort of in the design world? I presume that security is not one of the challenges in the all remote or remote first uh, service design, but there there must be some other similar kind of class of challenge that didn't exist before and now just had to be solved. Well, uh, in a way, actually, of course, also the security has uh, posed some challenges, but it might be that, uh, for example, uh, when we have worked with uh, some uh, governmental organizations, they might have like very strict policies, uh, for example, that which are the tools that can be used. And and, um, and of course, sometimes those policies are not uh, even very well grounded. They might be just that, yeah, we just say that, no, this is not allowed, and this is not allowed, and this is not allowed, uh, because it, it's, it's easier. So uh, for us, when we, for example, have workshops where we have uh, people from different organizations uh, with different policies and different uh, access rights and different uh, user rights. Very often we might have participants who can't even, uh, for example, well, they can't even install a blocking to their browser and very strict policies. So you need to uh, discover all of this in advance rather than uh, have it there in the workshop when the person just can't participate because uh, they can't even access the, the service that uh, you want to use because you need to have these collaborative um, tools uh, to be able to, uh, for example, do ideation and, and really make people collaborate together. So this has posed uh, very uh, concrete uh, problems or well, not problems, but at least challenges that, that we had to be aware of. And of course, very many questions related to uh, licensing and security issues that I'm, for example, as a service designer, not aware of. So for me, it's very difficult to answer all the questions that 
that um, participants uh, IT organization asks from from them that uh, is this okay and is this uh, safe and is this uh, how does this work and and so forth so necessarily I'm I'm not uh, aware of those and of course uh, the policies have been changed with different tools uh, as probably the the amount of uh, people using for example the online uh, collaborative uh, tools has uh, exploded uh, during the uh, remote situation so they have also changed and improved a lot of things but uh, you kind of need to also know a little bit about the, the IT security side when you start uh, for example bringing these different stakeholders and organizations together. Brendan there's a there's an interesting old Chinese proverb that I like to 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 recite before I set the the, the second question which is there are three ways of learning. One is through the reflection, which is the noblest. And then one is the imitation, which is the quickest. And then the third one is the experience, which is the bitterest. Why, why I wanted to recite that is when we think of, of those companies that are considering to move either to the remote first or considering to sort of gradually progress towards what, what your organization represent. Are there some experiences that you have had to maybe bitterly experience and that those other companies could just ensure that they don't stumble upon those challenges as they start going along the same journey. Sure. No, I, I think so. And, and again, we wrote a specific document focused on if you're going remote suddenly, mm-hmm. what are those things you should focus on? And I think... Um, I think, I think there's a couple things. First of all, having a team, right? If it's a task force or a, a designated person, right? Someone who's kind of focused on how are we operating remotely or a group of people that are focused on how we're operating remotely, I think is really critical because I think that, again, just to try and translate the office into remote uh, is going to be, you're going to have a very bitter time. <laughs> um, and, and so doing that is not a great idea. And so having folks focused on how are um, we doing and how are we operating remotely is really critical. Uh, Second, I would say, again, making a very clear source of truth. And so, you know, we paint a great picture, right? And our handbook is the source of truth for us, but that doesn't mean we don't struggle with that, right? Sure, we have folks um, that may uh, be new to the company or, or things that have to live elsewhere. Um, but we're always trying to centralize ourselves on this is the source of truth for how the companies run, what the policies are, um, and that really creates a lot of freedom and safety for our employees to know that that's you know that's where it is, and if it's not in the handbook, then it's not real. Um, you know, I, I experienced that firsthand. Uh, that, as I mentioned, that second week I was at GitLab, I I was flying to Greece to meet everyone and. I had read a lot of the handbook and that's what kind of brought me to GitLab. And I also knew that Sid, the CEO, uh, was very fond of it, uh, obviously. And so I was like, oh, I'll get in good with Sid and uh, and you know talk up the handbook to him. And so I said, oh, Sid, I just wanna let you know, uh, the handbook was a big part of my, the reason I wanted to come here. And uh, he didn't miss a beat. He said, thank you. He said, okay, now that you're here, what's written one way, but we really do it the other. <laughs> and I said, well, I've, I've only been here a week. I'm not sure. I was like, I can find something. I'm sure. He's like, okay, I hope you do. And when you do, 
fix it and send it to me. I said, okay. <laughs> and as I always say, flash forward to me in a hotel room in Greece, like frantically searching <laughs> to find something to, to send to the CEO because he, he just gave me this mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how seriously we treat it. It's like if it's not in the handbook, it's, it should not be the way we do things. And if, it, if we're doing something different, then we have to change it. Um, and so, again, that lesson learned is having a central source of truth for folks to go to be able to asynchronously consume what is the policy what are we doing what how do i get help with x like that is a really critical uh learning and then i think the last learning is the one we've we've talked about a number of times here which is just not to transfer uh in office uh methodology to uh working from home it's a completely different um thing in normal times remote work is completely different than an office and i think in a pandemic uh, it's even more critical to be conscious of that. Um, you know, we've been we've been talking about that because you know, for us, again, we were all remote, so folks may think, well, nothing really changed for GitLab, but of course it did. We've got folks that are are worried about the pandemic and and stressed about what's going on and and concerned for loved ones or themselves. Uh, we've got again parents with kids at home and um, that need uh, you know help with different things. We've got different schedules and folks that may need to take care of loved ones that that get sick and and so it's it's a different time for us and you know one thing again that that we came to realize is like look even for us again theoretically adjusted to not having a commute we've got folks that are working more just because it's an easy thing to do and a controllable thing and Mm -hmm. and so folks are working too much Uh, and so we decided to create in this um, pandemic we've created a couple of family and friends days where we Mm -hmm close the doors again we don't have an office to actually close um but we've created a few days i think we've had three of them so far during these these few months um to say hey let's let's all take a breath take a day focus on family and friends which is written in our values as as comes first before business uh and make sure that we're all able to recharge and and you know continue going right because it's 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 a challenge for all of us in this environment and and then a special challenge for those folks that had no remote work experience beforehand. Um, but again, I don't think you can you can't uh, completely judge yourself and your ability to work remote. Right? No one's born to do that, uh, and you especially can't judge it yeah. uh, during during a pandemic. Before I go to my two remaining questions, I'd like to ask Natalie to simply chime chime into this because you have in a miniature scale, so to say had to had to go this through from a service design perspective so i think i recorded this basically set up the team set up the source of truth and then try don't try to mimic the reality and when you when you scale that down to to your area of expertise have has there been some mistakes that or some lessons learned that you have experienced that you would like to share uh well uh for one maybe you are little bit too optimistic uh, how uh, engaging sessions you really can carry out remotely where people need to focus all the time and participate so if you can hold like a half day uh, workshop or a meeting when everybody is face to face and that doesn't feel like too tiring uh, if you mimic that uh, in the also uh, straight in the uh, virtual world and use use the virtual tools then it feels much more uh, consuming uh, and you need to have 
even more breaks and, and everything that you necessarily don't uh, need that much when you are physically in the same same space and, and everything you can walk around and, and do also uh, use methods where people need to actually stand or, or move around and uh, so forth. But if everybody's sitting on their tasks and staring at the screen, uh, it gets, gets very tiring. So uh, that is probably one of the mistakes or, or, or learnings that uh, we've all also had that it's, it's quite different to have like one whole day workshop remotely. Uh, it needs to be the whole flow has to be uh, quite different than it would be uh, that you would be in the same room physically. I have two last questions for you, Brendan, and they are one of them is hard question in terms of hard values versus soft values. And then the other one is the completely opposite. So as far as the business case is concerned, going going to remote first, what is the what is the metric which is going to get improved by uh, as we transition to this? Um, so the, the first question is, is, can you think of a specific step in the feedback cycle or a specific metric that really justifies this change. So that would be the hard question. And then the soft question is, I think you have read it too many times, but I just put it in the bed, which is the culture question, because people often think that culture comes from the proximity and belongingness and being able to reflect each other and sort of find a non-codified way of behaving together. And uh, if the culture isn't there, then a lot of a lot of other initiatives will be in vain. Yeah, I think I think the overall metric, uh, the simplest way to put that is, you know, the ability to measure the result of work over the hours put in, and I think that applies really broadly, right? That could be, um, and, and not even just hours, right? Just just overall effort, right? And so you're talking about, um, you know giving employees flexible work hours, being able to hire anywhere in the world, um, not limiting yourself to a specific geography or set of geographies, uh, not having folks, you know, be able to have to, you know, commute every day, um, allowing teams to write down processes over, you know, learning through osmosis in an office. Um, those kinds of things really will allow you to measure results better, right? And so I think the metric is that. Uh, and then secondly, you know, you mentioned culture and, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about culture and values at GitLab and we make a distinction that may not be the same distinction everyone would make, but it's important for us, which is, you know, our values are really unchanging, right? Those, those that credit values that I listed out early, earlier, but our culture is constantly changing, right? And so, like I said, we Three years we've hired over a thousand people, right? And you know, you know, increased the the company by thousands of percent in size. And we specifically don't hire for culture fit. We hire for culture addition, right? Because we believe that you know that culture is going to evolve necessarily over time, but it evolves within the constraints of our values, right? And so, uh, you know, again, enabling that culture is done through, you know, this focus on, you know, making informal communication formal and encouraging teammates to have access to all of the information uh, about how the business is run, 
uh, encouraging collaboration from all. Uh, and, and again, hiring for values fit, but for culture addition is, is how we focus on that. Is there something personally, uh, something for you personally that you really deem above everything else? The, the fluffy answer would be, I, but true is that I love, you know, I'm, I'm extremely proud to talk about having colleagues all over the world. And I'm so humbled to have gotten to share and learn so much about so many different people and so many different cultures throughout the world through my work. Um, the personal note though, maybe on the opposite side and the family note is, so I, I have four small children at home and three of them were born when I was going to an office and the fourth was born while I was at GitLab. Uh, and just the ability of me to be there, um, you know, and transition back to work in a way that was flexible. And again, maybe my, my wife who was at home with the baby, she might not need me uh, during the day, but knowing that I'm right there provides this like level of comfort that really can't, can't be measured because otherwise, you know, before with the, with the other ones, it was like, okay, I'm going to work and good luck. <laughs> like I'm going to be 45 minutes away. So hope everything goes okay. Versus if I'm here and there's, you know, two little ones at home and one needs, um, uh, a change and, and the other one's crying, like I can take 10 minutes and do that. Uh, and that's just mm. such a huge difference. And so I know it sounds like uh, a super personal thing, but uh, you, you asked. So <laughs> that's my answer. Yeah. But I, I also see it from your report that if I when I read the GitLab's 2020 remote work report, this was something that a lot of people appreciated. And I would I would maybe I am wrong, but I will put it out there as well. that It, it is a selective culture that it's sort of that that culture itself uh, invites people who appreciates the kind of values and then you end up looking like uh, a different kind of organization purely for the sake of people having different values and different priorities and the fact that you allow that to happen uh, gives you an advantage over some other organizations who who have harder time or, or just disallow that to that's happen. true that's very true is there something else we haven't discussed do you think it's important that you absolutely need to put out there and uh, and uh, we, we, we before we, we close this conversation yeah. no I, I think we've touched on those things that at least I find most important um, again we have a, a head of remote his name's Darren Murph and he uh, writes uh, prolifically <laughs> he actually has a Guinness World Record in 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 writing um, and so I would really encourage folks to you know if you just google GitLab remote uh, you'll find our all remote guide you'll find a, a downloadable playbook that we we released in March uh, you'll find tips for going remote quickly uh, in an emergency uh, and you'll find like I said lots of prolific writing uh, it's a lot to consume but I would really recommend uh, folks take a look you know you'll find something that speaks to issues you're having uh, and and hopefully gain some some nuggets of wisdom or or maybe you, you won't agree with us but at least get you thinking about uh how to do this better yeah, yeah and i believe darren is speaking in our webinar i think so yeah. as well yeah well uh it has been very uh interesting and very nice uh chatting with you brendan about your uh remote first and and how you 
work at GitLab. Uh, one thing that I was still uh, thinking that did you find anything that you do differently than in the handbook or did you have anything to report? Or... Yeah. yeah, I found <laughs> a very minor thing about onboarding, <laughs> but it was something. Um, uh, but it instilled in me, again, this idea that it is, right, that's the people operations section of the handbook and I was in not that mm -hmm. group. Uh, and I could issue a fix mm. to it, right? Um, nothing makes it happier than that happening or even when folks outside of our company fix an issue in, in the handbook because it's all open source and it's Creative Commons licensed. You can fork the company if you want to. Um, and, and so nothing makes him happier than uh, everyone can contribute, right? And us really embodying that and, and allowing folks to contribute to to things that in a traditional company people would just take for granted and assume were correct instead of questioning and, and, and making correct. That reminded me of the open source practice uh, where you may have somebody working in another open source project and then they find a bug in the other open source mm -hmm. project and then first they go and they file the bug and then they join the team and help them fix exactly. it. And it sounds very much like what you just described and it's so, so fascinating that you have been able to build a culture like an open source-esque culture and um, through the handbook well i thank you a lot for your time thank you brenda for joining it was fascinating to, to listen to the experience and i hope this will also be useful for organizations who continue to continue to wrestle their way in, in the day and hopefully some of them will will become a remote first uh, converts and thank you Merve, for joining thank you I am personally impressed by the fact that at GitLab, something that tends to be spontaneous have been formalized. For any organization that will want to get started with the all remote work, I guess that would work as a great practice for faking it till you make it. Make sure to check out the referred materials, GitLab's publicly accessible handbook, their 2020 remote work report, where 86% of the respondents think remote work is here to stay and much more. For now, that's all I had to share. Until next time, stay safe and get yourself a virtual water cooler.